There was chaos in the land. We understand chaos in a country. And although the circumstances change from place to place and from time to time, and it might be the coronavirus today, a few years ago it was Hurricane Katrina, a few years before that it was 9-11, and on and on and on we, we go throughout the course of human history understanding that there are times when our world is overwhelmed by chaos, uh, by all the craziness that's going on around us. And uh, that's what was going on in Samuel's day. Samuel was a prophet, uh, one of the last uh, of the prophet, great prophets, judges. You see, the people of Israel, after they had come out of Egypt and they had that uh, leadership from Moses and then the leadership from Joshua who actually brought them into the land, um, they had a, a leadership that was kind of different from anything we know today. I mean, it was a theocracy. They, they weren't capitalist or communist or whatever kind of ist other than they, they simply followed God and, and God would appoint some folks, some, uh, several men, at least one woman served in this role. They were called judges and, and, and they would help the, the country and leadership and decisions and military action. But ultimately, they, they realized, hey, we don't need a king because we've got God. God is our king. But after a while, the people of Israel, because they had start, stopped following God and going where they needed to go in his plan, well, things started going south really fast. And uh, the end of the book of Judges says, and every man did what was right in his own sight. Sound familiar? We often live in a world that says, hey, there's no truth. You've got your truth. I've got my truth. Well, that's exactly what was going on back then in that day. And so there was really a pandemonium. And rather than say, hey, the, the fix to this problem is that we turn our eyes back on God and do what he wants us to do, they said, let's look for a political solution. Hey, what about all these other nations around us? What's working for them? Well, from a distance, it seems like kings are a great idea. Kings have worked. So they, they begged and they begged and they started, you know, rioting. They started talking, hey, we want a king. And this hurt Samuel's heart so bad because he knew it wasn't the right solution. But God came to him and God said, hey, Samuel, it's not you that they're rejecting. You're doing a fine job as a judge. It's me. They're rejecting me. They're taking their hope. They're taking their, their, their trust off of me, and they want to put it on a man. All right? I'll give them what they want. Be careful what you ask for. Because God gave them a king. His name was Saul. And at first, everybody was happy because Saul looked like a king. He walked like a king. He talked like a king. He was tall and broad-shouldered, and, and he could command a presence. And so people were like, yeah, this is great. But eventually, as God knew would happen, things went south again. Uh, because it wasn't a problem that politics could solve. It was a problem of the heart uh, that was causing the chaos in their country. But Saul was not a good king. In fact, he began to basically lose his mind. And God came uh, to Samuel in this passage of scripture we're going to read today. And he told him, hey, <laughs> I've given you a little time. 
I've given the people of Israel a little time to get a taste of what they were asking for. But it's obvious this isn't working. And so now we're going uh, to go ahead and, and, and I'm going to do something new. And so follow along in your copy of God's Word or your Bible or your, your phone or whatever. and Listen as, um, as we read 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel in verse 2 says, but, but Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hear, hears about it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the church trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And he said, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at what people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse had Shema pass by, and the Lord said, Nope, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse said. He's, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David. So this is a story, a familiar one for those who've been in church a good bit of their life or studied the Bible. It's the story of, of King David being anointed. But I want to focus not on David, uh, but I want to focus on the prophet who anointed him, Samuel. Because Samuel was a great man. He was an amazing man. But yet, he was looking in the wrong place. 
in that chaos that his country was experiencing, even though he'd been heartbroken a few years before when God said, uh, when the people asked for a political solution, now he's bought into their way of thinking. He's not looking to the Lord for a solution. He's got his eyes in the wrong place. And I say that not to put down on him. Samuel was an amazing man of God. I'm just just saying, if God, if God can take a, a person like Samuel, and even he who loved the Lord and did great things for the Lord, if he took his eyes off the Lord, if he was looking for his hope in the wrong place, obviously we can do the same thing. But we don't want to, right? So this morning we're going to look at the places we shouldn't look for hope, all the wrong places, the places we don't want to look when we're in chaos. The first place we don't want to look is the good old days, the good old days. You know, that is the, the first uh, answer for so many people. When things go wrong in their life, they say, hey, man, if things could only be like the good old days. But sometimes the good old days aren't as good as we remember them. We look back uh, on and, and we hang on to an earlier time. We look back through these, these rose-tinted glasses. And we think, if only I could just bring back. If only I could just go back uh, to the way things were back then. See, this was Samuel's problem. And, and God had to kind of call him on it. Uh, God, in, that, in verse 1, God said to him, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And you know, that same thing can be uh, said to so many of us today. Now, now, it's easy to see this in others, right? Uh, I, I'm a father of three teenage children, a 17, 18, and 19-year-old and they're great kids, but you know what? They've experienced um, the, the, the ups and downs of romantic life or lack of romantic life or whatever you want to call it during the teenage years like all teenagers do. And so when I see them go through some bad times and, you know, and, and in my mind, okay, this is over, it's done. And in my mind, I'm thinking... Good riddance. You know, I'm so glad that's over. I'm, I'm glad that's done. You know, not, not any insult to anybody, but I'm just like, hey, there's more fish in the sea. Something better will come along, someone that you're, that you're better attached to. But, you know, that's my perspective. Not only because I'm older, but mostly just because it's not me. Because it's easy to watch and to judge and to have all the answers from the outside. But in their minds... Oh, it's the end of the world, right? <laughs> and, but in my mind, my words, I, I, I think, are so close to what the Lord said to Samuel. How long? How long are you going to hang on? That's done. You know, there's a lot of things that we hang on to. For some of us, it's, uh, it's a, a past marriage. And, and we've been through a divorce. And yet we're still stuck. We're still backwards focusing, backwards looking. And God's saying, how long? That, that's done. That's over. That doesn't define you. How long are you going to look back on that? For some of us, it's a, it's a financial failing. 
we messed up. We got into debt. Maybe we went bankrupt. Maybe we just blew it and now we're not going to be able to retire as earlier. We're not going to meet this goal. And God's saying, how long? How long are you going to hold on to that? Maybe it's a certain event that happened with you in a, in a relationship with a friend or a family member. And all you can do is look back to how things used to be. The good old days. God said, how long? How long are you going to hold on? Because you will not find hope looking to the past and longing to the past and grasping onto the past. Hey, it's fine to take a little trip down memory lane, a little nostalgia every once in a while. It's fine to appreciate what God has done in your life in the past. But God doesn't want us to live in the past. And so let's remember something as well. I mentioned earlier some, some different tough times our country's gone through, and, and particularly um, uh, Hurricane Katrina, you know, is, is one that sticks in my mind. And I remember after things started happening and, and, and everybody was saying, when are things going to go back to normal? And finally, somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody had the wise idea to say, folks, there's going to be a new normal. And the new normal is not the same as the old normal, and it's never going to be the same. And we have to adjust to the fact that, yes, uh, things are going to um, come back at some point. And to, they're going to come back into a more organized and orderly fashion. We won't stay in this forever. But the past is the past, and we will never live in that past again. God, yes, God gives us second chances but maybe it's, more, maybe it's better to say God gives us multiple chances. Because he doesn't give us a time machine to go back and relive what was in the past. Instead, what he says is you have the chance to not be defined by that past. Whether it was mistakes or accomplishments, I'm giving you a new day. I'm giving you a fresh opportunity to live for me, regardless of what was back there. So if you're looking for hope today, like most of us are, the good old days is not the place to look. Secondly, another place that you're not going to find hope is the worst case scenario. Now let me give a disclaimer right here. Uh, don't get me wrong, preparation's important, okay? And we need to all be considering how do we make it through? How do we, how do we adjust the best we can with our limited insight and knowledge? And none of us know the future. We're not... We're not mind readers. We're not psychics. We don't, we don't know what's coming. But, but we do need to prepare. In fact, in, in the book of Proverbs, uh, God tells us, he says, hey, the, the naive, the fool sees trouble coming and, and does not turn. I mean, it's not smart to not prepare. Most of us right now have an idea of, well... If I'd have been thinking about this a little more, I would have. Or we may say, hey, I wish I had, you know. But that's not what I'm talking about. Preparation is good. When I say worst case scenario, what I mean is that when you are confronted with chaos, with challenges, with craziness in your life, that your mind goes immediately to and fixates on the worst possible thing that could happen. And friends, when you do that, I, I, you're, you're going to be stuck, obviously. 
You see, there's kind of a form of pride there that says all of this is under my control. And we don't say this out loud. It's not a conscious thing, but it's kind of a subconscious thing where, where subconsciously we put ourselves in God's place. And we all of a sudden think we're in control of everything in our life. And here's the worst possible thing that can happen. How am I going to fix it? I have no idea. Therefore, it's doom and gloom. But see, when we learn to put God in his rightful place or acknowledge his rightful place where he is, as Lord of our lives, as the one who's in control of all things, as the one who can see the future, as the one who was not surprised by any of this, then that worst case scenario, while it might be thought about a little bit, we might consider it occasionally, but we're not going to fixate on that. You know what Paul's, I mean, excuse me, what Samuel's first case, worst case scenario was? It was death from the king. You know, Samuel was no dummy. I mean, first he's focusing, oh, the good old days with King Saul. And then God says, hey, get over that. Get over Saul. We got a new king coming. The next thing Samuel's mind goes to is, oh, no. Oh, God, you're signing my death sentence. If I go anoint this new king, Saul's going to find out about it, and I'm dead. You know, he, he doesn't really stop at, Ooh, this could be difficult. Um, this could be a touchy situation. Oh, I might be in a little trouble. He goes immediately to the worst thing. He says, God, you've just killed me. I'm dead. You've signed my death sentence. And that kind of worst case thinking doesn't help us. Samuel kind of reminds me of Eeyore here. You know, <laughs> he, he finds a way to find the, the worst and the negative thing. What if instead of doing that, instead of focusing of the worst that could come out of this, what if we focused on the best that could come out, the best that God is going to do through his children? You know, I've always believed this, the saying that, that catastrophes, that of crazy events, that they bring out both the best and the worst in people. And we have seen the worst. We've seen these jokers who've, who've gone out and bought up everything and then tried to gouge people, you know, and try to sell it at five times as what it's worth. Man, that's awful. <laughs> the, the, the greed and the lack of care for others shown by those sorts of folks, that, that's terrible. And we saw, see a lot of those headlines. But what about all the amazing stuff that doesn't show up in the headlines, but it's happening all over the place? You know, I, I've got a next-door neighbor, a, a young woman who has probably had uh, more health problems in, in her younger years than, than I've had my whole life and might not ever have. A lot more health problems than, than most people do. But you know what? She's done something by helping people online in our area created a page where people can go and find out here's the latest information here's what stores have bread or have water she's doing an incredible service right where she is you know because of her health difficulties none of us would blame her if she just sat and isolated herself from the world uh, there in her house well yeah she may be practicing social distancing in person she's being smart in that way but she hasn't thought, hey, it's all over with. There's nothing I can do. Another, a friend of mine from high school, I noticed, Eric 
He posted on our class Facebook page that, that normally only gets an update when someone dies or another reunion's coming up, right? And so he posts on it, though. He said, hey, I'm still in Biloxi. I know a lot of you guys have moved off to different places. And so your parents are still here, though. And if any of them, you don't want them getting out, I'll be glad to go and get groceries for them because I'm still here and I've got the time and the ability and the heart to do it. And then I see another post from my cousin Becky over in Texas. And she's making, she's sewing, putting together these little things that go over the masks uh, of, of health workers and give them further protection. And so right there in her home, she is doing good. She is touching lives. And y'all, that's just three. On and on and on. The stories, they're never going to reach the headlines. You're never going to see them on national news. But there is amazing good that is happening in the midst of this crisis. And if we have our minds looking on the worst case scenario, we're never going to see what God is doing all around us. Third and final point, where we don't want to look for hope is in outward appearances. Outward appearances. You know, this is so, so relevant for us today and, and what we're going through. Because everywhere you see, everywhere you look, there's a new conspiracy theory. Uh, there, there's new gossip. There's new fear. There's, all these things are being spread. People are making snap judgments, shallow, uninformed thinking, doing really stupid stuff. Because they're just taking these quick snapshots of, of what they think reality is all about. And, and they're going and doing and saying stuff that's hurting not only them but others. The Samuel, here he was. And I'm going to say that if the Lord had just stopped his instruction at Samuel, you're going to go anoint a new king and it's going to come from Jesse's sons. If God hadn't kept on holding his hand and kept on instructing him, he was going to get another failure just as bad or worse than Saul. Because the first of Jesse's sons, and this is hilarious. I find it hilarious. The way, the way this happened, it's... You know, it's almost like this uh, beauty pageant, you know, and, and he's the judge and he's reviewing each of these sons and, and, and he's thinking in his mind, this one or this one. Well, he sees the first one, Eliab, and, and Samuel looks at him, at David's older brother and says, oh, now there's a king. I know he'll be the one because he looks like a king. He talks like a king. He acts like a king. Surely he must be king material. And God spoke into Samuel's heart right then and said, Samuel, one more time, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at the outward appearance, at the shallow stuff. But I've got more. I've got better coming. And it ended up being the youngest son. The one everybody, his big brothers probably thought, oh, he's still a baby. Oh, he's still a kid. He's, he's mama and daddy's boy. You know, it, it wasn't the thought. Nobody was thinking, oh, yeah, it's the youngest. But that was the reality of God's best for them was in the youngest, David, being the king of Israel. Don't give in to all the junk that's going around. 
Don't buy in when people promise that, hey, they're your savior. Listen only to them. They're the only ones with the real truth. And on and on and on. That kind of talk. Don't follow those kind of folks. We will not have the hope that we need to successfully make it not just to survive, but to thrive as believers in the days ahead if we look in all these places, if we look to the good old days, if we look to the, to the outward appearance, the, the quick judgment, if we look to those worst-case scenarios, the worst things that can happen. Where do our eyes need to be? Well, here's the Sunday school answer, but it's the true answer. Our eyes need to be on God. Even a child could tell us this, and yet those of us who've been believers for years and years can find ourselves talking to all of our friends, stressing out, worrying, and doing everything we should do other than just going to God and looking for him. You see, if he's the only one that sees the future, if he's the only one that sees the big picture both now and, and throughout eternity, then maybe we ought to be looking to him for wisdom and for guidance. And as we do that, as we look to the Lord, he can give us that hope. Because unlike just sitting in the old days, uh, uh, the good old days and focusing on them, the past is helpful for this. We can see, you know what? God's never failed. He promised and it's come true. He promised and it's come true. His promises always come true. And so when God tells us, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, that promise is going to come true. I want to encourage you today. I'm not saying be perfect. None of us are going to be. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to do the wrong things. But don't give up. Don't give in to the things that the world wants you to give in to. Put your hope, put your faith, put your trust in the Lord. And he'll carry you through. Now at this time, this is, this is the point at which we normally have an invitation and everybody's sitting out in the pews and, and I'll say, hey, it's your time to do business with God. And, and, and you know, I, even then when everybody's here, I still always say, you know, one option is to come forward and talk to me or to kneel at the altar. But I also tell them, you may need to go and just talk to someone else right now and make things right in a relationship. Or I tell them, you may need to just kneel and bow where you are right now. And so right now, <laughs> when you're not here, wherever you are, I don't know, in your, in your home, hopefully, or maybe some of you are on break from work because you have to work. Wherever you're watching this, I want you to listen to the words of this song and I want you to respond to how God has spoken to you through his word and, and through this music that's coming.